All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of On the Move, presented by Move Outdoors. I am one of your co-hosts, Zachary Mall, and with me today is Ryan Brunner and Tyler Reimer, along with our guest, Caleb Simon from Simon Brother Outdoors. As we've been doing the last few podcasts, I'm going to do a little bit of a roundtable amongst the hosts, talking about what they've done the last few days, getting ready for deer season and uh, hunting season as it approaches here. So, Ryan, what have you been up to the last few days? Um not a whole lot on the deer front. I do have an elk hunt coming up um, in a couple of weeks here. So my dad and I have been doing some longer range shooting um, with our rifles out to 200 yards and shooting from different positions, prone position off of our uh, tripods and uh, just getting some of that practice in. Um, I do look forward to checking some trail cameras probably Sunday morning. Um, had a couple trail cameras that haven't been checked maybe in a month and a half, two months. So um, around here, the buck should be getting hard horned anytime and looking to see what the, what those cameras have in store from July and August. So, Tyler, what about you? This week, uh, I was doing a lot of inventory on uh, my equipment, you know, checking, make sure all my arrows are good, lex testing, spin testing them. Uh, checking broadheads, making sure none of them need a extreme amount of sharpening or repair um, from uh, some of my misses last year. Um, you know, just trying to get the equipment ready because if the equipment is not ready, obviously it's going to be a shaky start to the season. So uh, I'm hoping to get some boots down, hopefully tomorrow, maybe Sunday morning, get up extra early, get in before they break and just walk. That sounds like a good plan for this upcoming weekend. Uh, as for myself here, uh, I said on the last podcast, I've done my first Iowa trail camera check. That's unveiled quite a few target bucks for me. And since then, I've gotten my first hardhorn buck on the Tacticam that I have out here on some public land. So it's pretty, pretty cool to know that they're starting to shed and that it's getting to that time of year. I've got an elk hunt coming up here in a week. The bow's ready. I'm starting to gather all the equipment for it. And man, am I getting really excited to get out there and hit the woods. It's, it's that time of year. It's finally here. There's a chill in the air in the mornings when I take the dog out for a walk and, and I am ready. Although you had a heat so, wave didn't you, back in Iowa. We did have, we did have a pretty big heat wave. Uh, Wednesday I had trap league and uh, trap league. It had a heat index of 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was, it was so hot. My gun couldn't cool down between shots and towards the end of it. The gun I think was hotter than the air temperature because I could barely hold the thing anymore. My cheek was sliding off the, the stock from all the sweat. It was, it was brutal. No one in our group shot very well because of it. And then uh, the last thing I got going on here is I'm actually headed to the Iowa Mobile Hunter Roadshow tomorrow, uh, heading down there, hoping to talk to some industry leaders and get to know a couple other people that I know are going down there and meet some more Iowa hunters. I think that's going to be a good experience. I went to the one in Pennsylvania last year, and it was a ton of fun. So I'm excited to see how the Iowa one is different. And the land of the giants there, huh? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. seen bucks like I've never seen anywhere else. Yeah, a little bit different than you're what you're used to, eh? Oh yeah, the, the Eastern Pennsylvania bucks don't don't hold a candle to these Iowa bucks. I believe that. Yeah, so now that we've got the round table done, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest here today. We're talking with Caleb Simon of Simon Brother Outdoors and the Deer Shop Podcast. 
uh, Caleb's channel, Simon Brother Outdoors, has really grown in the last uh, year, year and a half or so, and he's almost doubled in subscribers in that time. He's been putting out great content for a lot longer than that, though, and hopefully through the course of this podcast and getting to know Caleb a little bit better, you go check out his channel. It's an awesome channel. It's a great group of guys, and uh, Caleb, why don't you kind of break it down as to how SBO really came about? Well, yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on here, and uh, I'll definitely be sharing this feed on our social media so that uh, everyone else can kind of listen to you guys and kind of see what you're up to. Um, so Simon Brothers Outdoors, we started basically because, oh, man, we just, uh, we loved running. So we filmed everything when we were kids, basically. I guess it started with my dad. So my dad bought one of those giant, huge, you know, you put in a VHS tape over the shoulder, massive cameras when I was born. So I'm 33, so 1990. And he did a lot of, you know, videos of us when we were kids. And as we got older, we wanted to play with dad's camera. And he had a bunch of old photography equipment. And we lived on a family farm, which is 126 total acres between the two parcels that are together. And, you know, that translated to obviously being in the woods. And uh, he was a hunter. He was uh, back then in Ohio, 90s and early 2000s. Uh, bow hunting wasn't as big of a thing. So he was the, the weekend warrior, gun hunting, you know, black powder. He used uh, Thompson Center Renegade was his firearm of choice but he would always go on hunting trips and we'd see that and we're like man you know as soon as we're old enough we're going to start that stuff and then the bow hunting craze hit so we as soon as we were basically old enough to pull bows bows back we just started bow hunting and we had you know high eight tape cameras with us and we've been filming since i think my first film hunt was 2006 or 2005 when i was 15 years old uh filmed my brother kill a turkey first time we ever took a camera in the woods my brother shot a turkey on film so i mean the, the video quality is absolutely garbage but uh we have that at least but yeah so we you know that was just that was it and uh we started our youtube channel in 2009 which is like ancient history compared to everything you're seeing now our channel is what 14 years old now yeah 14 years old i think it was march was the anniversary so yeah i mean we've just been filming hunts and putting content out for a really long time and i didn't get serious with it as far as marketing myself and this whole craze of social media hunters i didn't even know i was a forum guy so i don't know if you guys were ever on you know before facebook you know there was hunting forums like hunting net bowhunting.com stuff like that i did a lot of that but i never i guess i missed the boat on when hunting you know social media such as instagram and youtube was becoming big we had our channel obviously that had hundreds of videos at that point but i would just upload them in the middle of the night and you know no thumbnail you know no title you know it was just like caleb's buck you know would be the name of the video but uh I started taking it seriously at the end of 2020. I think it was like December of 2020. You know, it's it's time to start kind of putting some effort into this. This is fun. You know, we like it. And yeah, it's kind of taken off since then. We're up 321% from last year at this time. I checked the numbers the other day. So we're we're growing pretty fast, which is which is pretty cool. It's fun. That's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're we're still small fish compared to like some of the bigger guys, but we're I guess we're like one step above the beginner channel. So we're like the intermediate channel now. We're not big by any means, but it's growing fast and we're having fun with it. And we've been getting some good equipment and just doing a lot of learning. We do a lot of, uh, we basically, we've been learning basically, you know, via YouTube and just watching tutorials and videos. And it, it's become a lot of fun, you know, between me and the brothers and everyone to kind of learn the camera game and you know every 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 video we try to just take it to the next level because it's it's endless you know like, like we said before we were recording uh you know we didn't go to college none of us went to college for any of this stuff so you know it's kind of we're learning as we go and don't have any professional background in in the arts but it is a lot of fun 
It is a lot of fun, and that learning curve is steep. I don't know about you, but I go back and look at some of our older content, and I just think, this is horrible. I mean, just uh -huh. the production quality, awesome. the editing, it's so bad compared to where I am now. I mean, it's awesome, but it's, it's yeah, and the quality. Like, I, you know, I'm trying to watch these videos from, you know, 2009, and they're filmed. The, the quality is just so bad. You can't even see the arrow. I was using lighted knocks, but you can't even see the arrow. It's just, it, was, it was fun. You could hear it. I mean, it was a lot a of fun. Yeah, technology has advanced. <laughs> Those, the, back then, that stuff was recorded in, like, 480p, and we thought it was super clear when we... Oh, when we first recorded it, and I was transferring it from tapes. I had like little high eight tapes that I had to like put in the camcorder, connect a USB cable, and like record it on a recording software, and then edit it. And yeah, that's how I learned. So, uh, sounds like you've been around hunting and videoing your entire life. I was going to ask if if you had any kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for here idols i guess in the the filming industry the hunting filming industry growing up if there was anyone that you really looked up to or said i want to be like you well, know like yeah. or bucks of tecamati or something so uh you know we were poor farm kids so i didn't have tnt or any of those hunting channels but i did have every once in a while i would be able to go and i don't even know where to get them. i probably bought them like through an ad in the back of Outdoor Life or something, but I was able to procure like some of the original Drury tapes when I was a kid, like the VHS. I know the one was King of the Spring, like the original Turkey Hunt video to me was like, wow. And then there was, you know, Drury's, they, they had like, they had two different series of their buck hunting, but they had a couple of these, like, you know, this was before they were planting a lot of food plots, before box blinds, back when like Mark would just climb a tree and shoot a 140. And that, to me, back then, that was like the coolest thing ever like it was it was basically the juries back then and then um as the internet evolved i started watching stuff online it was it was bill winky those early seasons of midwest whitetail and chasing november when he first started doing that and just you know he had a lot of talent working for him back then that's when you know you know the honey public guys are working for him and some of those other people in the industry now that were working for him you know, you know greg from hunting public was filming when he had some of his best hunts like those that stuff back then was just awesome and like that's kind of what I molded myself after and kind of looked up to, I guess. I mean, we don't have the kind of deer Iowa does. I mean, Ohio has some giant bucks, but Iowa is just different level. As you can attest to that now, I mean, it's it's different. But it was those are kind of the guys we watched and we really liked. But we weren't exposed to the cable hunters. We didn't. I never got to really watch the Outdoor Channel or any of that stuff. I, I could later in life, and just you know, yeah, wasn't for me. I once it was done with VHS tapes, it was straight to YouTube, and all the YouTube guys were. Who I kind of looked up to at that point. So I used to, to watch. Day, the, go ahead, Ryan. Of, I, said, I used to watch the VHS tapes of the Primos guys. I used to buy the Turkey Hunt uh, tapes, and then I also, I guess, when probably when I was ten or eleven is when I don't know, maybe DVDs were taking over before that. But I remember we used to rent. I'd go rent DVDs if I could, and I could find them. Uh, for the real tree monster bucks guys, yeah, like <laughs> uh, Jordan was, and Blake, all those guys, yeah, the yeah. old the old Jordan videos. Yeah. I I'm still a little amazed that outdoor television still exists with how much high quality content there is on YouTube these days. Honestly, I mean, uh, it'll go away. I it, it's definitely going to go away at some point. It's going to be gone. It's I not I, a downhill trend. I completely agree with that. I, I think these YouTube guys are becoming the next big stars. My 
my big thing once once social media hunting really became a thing i really gravitated towards like the bow hunter die episodes and leatherwood outdoors i don't know if you've heard of them they're based in western pennsylvania so um, i don't i haven't watched a ton of them but i know who they are because they have a huge following like massive youtube following and they're uh they're really famous for their flintlock videos if i remember correctly yeah. oh yeah yep. yeah and i think we talked about bow hunter die before i saw i knew i met justin when i was like 12 years old so I've known Justin Zarr forever, and actually, I told him he has to be my first celebrity guest on my podcast. And he said October, he'll do it in October. So I'll have Justin on in October. But those guys are cool. I grew up, I kind of grew up with those guys. Like we would, I don't know if I told you the story or not. And here we go with tangents. But uh, when we were kids on the forum, so bowhunting.com, so they switched from they owned HuntingNet or were invested in HuntingNet, and then they started bowhunting.com. Uh, and I was one of the first members over there, and. I just got to know Justin and Todd and those guys. And when we were kids, we would take, we would get in our cars or we had this buddy of ours that lived in uh, Eastern Ohio. We would just leave for the weekend and drive up to Chicago, outside Chicago where they had their pro shop. And we'd go to bow, we'd camp and we'd go to bow tournaments there with them and just like hang out with the bowhunting.com guys. And it was a lot of fun when we were kids just to kind of be around that. I haven't talked to a lot of them much anymore just because life's crazy but every once in a while i text justin i always make sure i text him when the packers kick the shit out of the bears because he's a huge bears fan i'm a packers fan so i'll send him some like mean text messages then but he is going to be a guest on our podcast here within the next month and a half or so i'm gonna get him on that's awesome uh on another tangent here how do you become a packers fan in ohio browns didn't exist uh no no browns I mean, I'm I'm like eight hours from Cincinnati. I mean, not really, but it's probably I'm pretty far from Cincinnati. I'm I'm I'd be closer to Pittsburgh, honestly. Honestly, but I mean, okay. When you're when you're a six seven year old kid and Brett Favre is in the league and the Browns don't exist and he's hunting and fishing and being Brett Favre, I mean, that was it. I mean, that's I've been a Packers fan since '95. I spent a lot of money on NFL Sunday ticket, just so you know, being in Ohio. Unfortunately. <laughs> oh. I'm sure if I wanted, I'm a Giants fan. If I wanted to watch the Giants out here in Iowa, it would cost me an arm and a leg. 300 bucks. It's like 300 bucks now. YouTube TV, just so you know. Yeah, that's, I have YouTube TV too. And I just got the app for Sunday ticket. I don't, I don't have to pull the trigger because I'm an Eagles fan and I live in Southeastern Pennsylvania. But um, yeah, I, I, my, I think my, my dad bought it because my stepmom is a Patriots fan. Yep. Yep. I've had it since I, think- I, I spent my summer hay money on NFL Sunday tickets so I can watch the Packers, you know, like yep. 2001, like that long ago. I mean, it's I have a slight obsession. I actually built this basement just so I could watch the Packers. Well, but before we before we get off the tangent, what's your uh, what's your projection now without Aaron Rodgers? Uh, similar to last year, uh, we're gonna be similar to last year. I think Jordan Love's not gonna be, you know, first year Patrick Mahomes, 50 touchdowns MVP. Like, let's get that out of the way, but. He's not going to be right. bad, and our defense is pretty good, and we have an easy beginning of our schedule, so we could start four and two, you know, like five and one potentially. So, I mean, we're going to win eight to ten games and maybe get in the playoffs. I mean, the Vikings were the only team in the division that was any good last year. Everyone's on the Lions, but the Lions. I mean, one hit wonder. When the Lions do it two years in a row, we'll we'll start talking about the Lions. But I mean, yeah, Green Bay's exactly. going to sniff the playoffs. I don't know if they'll make it, but they'll be right in there in contention. So. Yeah, I'm excited. It's fun. I wish Aaron Rodgers the best, but go Jordan Love. <laughs> yep. 
We actually, uh, we had a guy on the podcast before, uh, my good buddy, Derek Hart, who's actually the guy that I'm going to Wyoming with. He played a whopping three games in the NFL and they were for the Packers. Uh, he was yeah, the long I saw, I, saw guys, I saw some of that, that he was Packer Packers player, but I, I, uh, I, I might remember his name, but I don't really know if I remember his name. To be honest with you. Honestly, I don't think many people can name the long snapper on their team anyway. So. <laughs> no, no. I mean, usually every team, which is kind of sad because most teams actually keep their long snapper around for a while. So like, oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're a good long snapper and you're ingrained, you just take the NFL vet minimum and you're on the team and get vested and take your pension. But um, when there's switches and changes and in injuries, you know, it, it kind of changes that. But yeah, I don't, I couldn't tell you my long snapper right now, to be honest with you. So yeah, you're right. So the reason we wanted to have you on the podcast here today is to kind of talk about some of the deer that, that uh, really kicked off Simon brother outdoors. Uh, you had mentioned that you first started really taking the editing and the posting seriously in December timeframe of 2020. Yeah. And your first uh, really hit video, I guess you'd say that you guys have was probably with this, this buck, the first buck we're going to talk about here, which is, yeah. Up you guys called Traveler. Yep, Jeff Traveler. Yep. And he he was your first mature buck off your family's property then? So uh not necessarily. I guess you know, if we're gonna talk about the whole family property, when we started getting serious with honey, he was my first mature buck off the property. Um actually we have a podcast coming out on Monday on my brother's uh first mature buck, which was the first mature buck we took off the property, which was 2009 he killed a deer we called freak daddy that scored 199 and six eighths. So he was, it's a whole, yeah, it's yeah. Well, wow. you just tune in on Monday and you'll hear the story of that. Cause it's long, but my first mature buck wasn't until 2019. Um, uh, yeah, I, I had hunted a lot. I kill a lot of does. I kill a lot of smaller bucks. Um, but you know, we, we were starting to get into the YouTube thing, filming really big. Uh, we were posting a lot of our videos back then on Facebook. So we weren't really on YouTube yet, but we were posting everything on Facebook. We upgraded our camera equipment that year and, um, my friends were all, we were all in a spot in life where my friends were willing to hunt and be filmed. So like 2019, we really started getting real heavy into the filming and the hunting. And, um, that was what we would call a banner year, uh, for whitetails at our farm. You know, when you've been on the farm as long as, uh, as, as our family has, there's good years, there's bad years, there's good genetic years, there's years where just, you know, none of the bucks that you're looking for show back up, or if they do, they're not that good. Or, you know, there's no, uh, there's no wandering bucks that show up that are, you know, worth a damn. But 2019 was not that year. We had four or five shooters that year that were, you know, 140, 150 class bucks mature. And we, you know, Traveler was number one on that list. There was another buck named Fat Bastard that was on that list, a buck called No Browse. Uh, There's just a lot of deer. But um, he was the first major, you know, mature what you would call a trophy quality buck that we killed on video and documented the whole process, the, you know, the summer leading up trail cameras, the whole nine yards. And it was one of those just magical hunts. We, uh, I, it was November 1st, if I believe correctly. Yeah. November 1st, 2019. I had hunted the same stand actually three days in a row. I, uh, it was, uh, we call it possum run and it's like just a skinny finger with, you know, a little tiny valley and crops to the South and then a little tiny valley and thousand acres of woods to the North. But this little skinny finger connected a cow pasture and i hunted it every night that i hunted i saw one of those different mature bucks i just talked about i saw no browse the first night at like 100 yards you know just scent checking he just i tried ground at him he just was gone saw a fat bastard i believe it was the second night 
same he was in the same exact spot same exact trail sent checking and it just kept going and then traveler came in on that same trail again but he took an opposite path that night um you know obviously anyone that's watch or listening could watch the video but there were some does in the area and then he just came perfectly down the trail i got a 37 yard broadside shot and i took it and i've had there was a whole saga before this traveler thing with this buck called hook which is one of our last podcasts that we did on the deer shop where you know me and my brother both made bad shots on a very mature trophy class buck and we never ended up killing him we thought it was a repeat of that the video you know i was just new to filming so i had a great I had a 4K $3,000 camera. I zoomed all the way out because I didn't want to miss it. So I zoomed all the way out, and I wasn't able to actually get the impact uh, in super high quality. But I was able to get the impact, and, you know, we went back to the deer shop, and all my buddies came over and watched the video. And I didn't feel very confident with it. I thought it was high shoulder and that he spun out, of, you know, three or four inches of penetration. Like, this is going to be real bad. And that, uh, fortunately, was not the case. We waited four or five hours, went to check the arrow, and, you know, I had probably eight to ten inches of penetration, and the arrow broke off, and we talked about backing out, which would not have been a bad, you know, looking back now, it's easy to look back now, we probably should have just backed out based on that alone. Come back in the morning, we'll look, give this your time, but um, we went another 30 yards, and there started to be blood spray on trees on both sides of his the path he was on, and we're like, whoa, like. I actually got a pass through and didn't realize it hit the back, it hit the opposite shoulder, went through the skin and then pulled out. Have you ever seen that with the, the rages tend to do that. I feel like they'll, they'll penetrate in all the way through the cavity and then get to the skin on the other side and just like get stuck there. Like that last yeah. little inch of skin like stops the bolt. But yeah, he, you know, he only went 70, 80 yards. We found him piled up and it was the first, it was the first big, you know, 150 class mature buck that any of my friends or me had ever killed with our bow. So it was, it was quite a night. We, uh, we celebrated pretty hard. Um, it's unfortunate when I look back at all the video because, you know, we use the video for a lot of things and it was really good track job and recovery, but I was pretty fucked up. I was pretty drunk in the video. So I was it, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at myself thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm just like stumbling around out there. But looking back, it was a great time and, you know, it worked out well. And uh, that season was good for all my buddies. We actually, there was three or four of my other buddies who killed really good bucks that year. A couple other ones on film. I mean, it was 2019 was awesome. I don't know if it was like that for you guys in Pennsylvania, but in Ohio, 2019, it was mint. 2019 for me was okay. Actually, 2019 that, for me was pretty, pretty decent, I think. When you killed... Uh, I killed Thing 1 in 2019. Yeah, Thing 1 in 2019, because I was in Montana with my dad, and you killed yeah. the buck the first week, or like the first day or two in november i think yeah but before before we get too too far away uh removed from the traveler buck um first i want to say if it makes you feel any better uh i watched all the videos for the bucks that we're going to talk about today i had no idea right. you were drunk on the trail i well, honestly i, I could appreciate i was um but one, one of the things I have here in my notes to ask is, so you saw no brows. Like you said, you sat this stand the same time, three nights in a row. Um, you sat October 30th, 31st, and November 1st. November 1st, you killed Traveler, but you saw no brows and Fat Bastard on the same trail about 100 yards away. Um, the first two nights you sat there, what 
gave you the confidence to stay in that same stand that you ended up killing Traveler out of? Because I know a lot of guys, if they saw two mature bucks use the same trail two nights in a row, they'd move that hundred yards to get a shot to that trail. So I try not to make I try not to make too many micro adjustments. Uh, you know, and that goes both ways. I know there's a lot of guys that'll you know. There, there's plenty of videos and plenty of stories out there where guys like, oh man, that those deer on that trail right now, they go move, they kill. But at the same time, you know, this stand had been there for a couple of years. I knew the deer walked by the stand. The topography of that ridge made it so if he, you know, if they did come down that direction where I was, they were going to walk by me either on both sides. So I had shooting lanes on both sides. And my wind, you know, in Ohio, we have, you know, either south or northwest wind normally. So those are the two wind variants we have. And I just kept getting this northwest wind, which basically covered my entry trail. I came in, you know, from the perfectly downwind side and the wind blew right back to where I came, you know, all three nights. And I just, you know, it was cold. It was cool. The conditions are great. There's, I saw no reason to switch anything up. Let's just stick it out. And I did hunt the mornings too. So I think at that time I was hunting like morning and afternoon, leaving during midday. And I had a couple uneventful sits in those mornings or maybe just saw some does in those mornings, but I was pounding that stand at that time of year. And I don't think I touch on it in the video, unfortunately, because I didn't, I made the video before I ended up pulling the rest of my trail cameras, but uh, the buck fat bastard, he ended up actually coming by after I shot traveler on a trail on my entry trail. So I had a camera that was like kind of covering my entry trail where the fields kind of all go together into the woods. And he walks by like an hour after I shot fat bastard after I had left the woods. And then we went into track after that. So he came, he came through there in between times, you know, in the same general area. So the bucks were just cruising the hell out of that ridge that year. Um, it was, it was pretty awesome. And I, unfortunately I was never able to kill fat bastard. I have like four or five of his sheds. And unfortunately, he disappeared. He's one of those deer that just never, you know, he never, he just disappeared in the thin air, basically, one summer. He was there during the fall up to the last day of the season, and then he disappeared. But, yeah, that that day and that that stretch of time, I was married to that stand. I had plenty of other options on the farm, but, I mean, I, had, I was having good action, and it was different bucks. So, you know, maybe if it was the same buck two days in a row, I would have been like, all right, he's on a pattern. But it was different bucks. They're just cruising. They're just you know, the, the, the rut is so spread out in my neck of the woods because the deer per square mile is out of control. The rut never kind of, it never stops once it starts. So I was just confident to just keep sitting there and make it happen. And I got very lucky. So that's kind of something we experience in Pennsylvania where we hunted, or well, more specifically where Ryan hunts, the deer per square mile, and particularly the does per square mile is so out of control that the rut basically lasts from, the last week of October all the way through the end of deer season, basically. Yeah. I mean, you can have bucks cruising just about any day through there in that time frame because there's so I've, many does I've, in that area. I've seen bucks I fully agree. Go ahead. I've seen bucks cruising in flintlock season. <laughs> yeah, I've seen deer. We've had bucks chasing in January. Yeah, I mean, I agree yeah. with you fully. The rut just never stops. I mean, it just it, there's so many does. That it just never stops. I drove a field down the street the other day. There was 18 does in one field, you know, and it was just a little bit of a quarter mile and go over to the next field. There's 25 in the next field. You know, a biologist would not agree with me that that's a possible holding number for a piece of property, but that was no antler deer. And there was almost 50 in two fields. Oh, next so, I mean, yeah. and that's just the deer you're seeing, you know, it's, it's out of control. That That's pretty common to around where Ryan hunts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to see, during a sit 15 to 25 does yeah 
and the co- just coming out into coming out into bean fields, coming out into cornfields that wants to cut. I mean, there's there's been flintlock seasons, and obviously some of these deer are button bucks that you that you count as yeah. does. So factor that in, but it's not uncommon for us to see 30, 40 deer and maybe three or four of them might buck. Yeah. Yep. We're in the same boat. There's so many deer. Yeah. One of the things I found really interesting in your story for Traveler that I'd love for you to talk more about is uh, Cowgate and yeah. how bad that that actually affected Traveler. Uh, I think you mentioned in the video that he ended up disappearing off your cameras for about two weeks, the week of Cowgate and then the week after. But uh, I, I just wanted to know more about Cowgate. That was a really interesting part of this whole story for Traveler. So my neighbors across the street, so this is across, this is the family farm. So not, when I say my neighbors, not where I'm actually currently sitting, but the neighbors at the family farm, they have another, you know, farm of similar size to ours and they have beef cows. Probably, uh, well, there was three that got loose. So I don't know how many total they have, but so three got loose in July or August. You know, I had to, you know, cross-reference the dates, but somewhere around that, you know, midsummer period, three cows got loose and I had a bunch of food plots planted that year and there was about 10 days, 10 to 12 days. It wasn't quite two weeks where these cows, I mean, all my cameras, cell cameras, um, I was getting them on there and the, and, you know, the food, we obviously gave permission for the farmer, the neighbor to go and, you know, try to, you know, you know, suey these cows up and try to get them back in their pen, which was not happening. We, we tried a bunch of different times. You would just enter the woods and they would just take off 2000 pound, you know, animals just run through the woods. Just, and they were, they were actually, where they were spending their nights, I don't, I don't want to say bedding because I don't know if cows bed, but where the cows were hanging out in the evenings was the ridge where I killed Traveler. And that that ridge connects to their cow pasture where those cows were. But those cows, uh, it was funny. The two things, so they had three food sources that they keyed in on with my cell cameras, I noticed, during that period of time. They smoked the obvious, the green beans, so like soybeans, they were green. They were out there grazing all day. They destroyed my uh, my plot screening. So I had like a, a Egyptian wheat sorghum plot screening on this one area. They mowed it down to nothing. It was 10 feet tall and they just shoo, ate it down to absolutely nothing. And then there was an oak tree that was like really low hanging branches and starting to drop acorns. They went to that oak tree every day too and were just smashing these, these acorns and just taking them right off the branches. And actually, I could probably do, I never actually have done it, but I probably could do one of those transparent videos. I had Traveler hitting the scrape and then cows and then Traveler hitting the scrape and then cows. But um, they ended up just going back into a neighbor's pasture. A neighbor left his cow gate open one night with some food in it, and they just walked in and he cut, shut the gate behind him, and that was that. But I was stressing out. I, I was, I didn't have as much of knowledge of invasion of people and stuff then. I thought it was the end of the world. We're never going to see another deer here again. There's cows in my woods eating my food plots, people walking around. And in the end, it didn't affect it at all. So yeah, that two week period where we were chasing cows around, there was, you know, our mature bucks on camera went down to nothing. But as soon as the cows were gone, we let it sit a week, they were back. Plenty of videos. So it was just, I was in panic mode because that was the first time I had a buck like that, you know, a couple different bucks that were just daily, daily on camera and very patternable. And then of course, you know, some beef gets introduced into the mix and, but it worked out okay. But yeah, it was that was a stressful period of time. I was not happy. I, I can you imagine. You can't be mad because that's natural. I mean, cows get yeah. out and farm, you know, farm fence the whole nine yards. But it's just, I was, I was in a bad spot there for a couple of weeks. It's one of those things you just shake your head at and you're like, of course it happens to me. Yeah, right. I finally get, I finally get all this great media and I got bucks using my home farm and they're in my backyard and 
I got cows. <laughs> it worked out. Could could you use an antlerless tag on one of those? Do you think? Oh, you could technically just shoot them. There's nothing they can do about it. I mean, they're they're not a game. They're not regulated, and they're an invasive, loose species. But we actually, the, the neighbor was getting to the point where it's like, you know, if we can't get these things in in the next couple of weeks, you someone can just shoot them, and we'll do something with it at that point, you know. But because they're causing farmers a lot of damage, and they're you know other farmers are going to start sending bills out to the to them. So you got to kind of weigh the options. But they got them back in and they actually ended up giving me a couple steaks off one of the cows for free. They dropped it off on my doorstep. The lady did. So nice. I got to enjoy eating those cows after they almost <laughs> ruined my fall, but it worked out. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have one more question from that video then. Um, okay. I need to know more about this Mississippi mud beer. So I don't know much about it. I actually don't know much about it either. So the funny story was so that Mississippi mud beer all right, I got to go way back here. I got to think about how this goes. When we first, when me and my buddy Jimmy first turned 21, he had his brothers are Columbus cops. Two of his brothers are Columbus cops. So we'd go down and just like spend the weekend with them and hang out. And down there in Columbus, they actually had like these markets, these like stores where you could buy like uh, micro brew beers. You know, when we were 21, all we did was just go to a gas station. Like, oh, there's Bush Light. And you buy it. But down there, they had thousands and thousands of bottles of beer on the wall, and you just build your own six packs, and it was real cheap. This twenty-one-year-old is like, "This is heaven." So we bought just a bunch of beers, and one of them was this like whiskey-looking jug, Mississippi mud beer. And I bought it, and uh, I decided, you know what, we'll save this one for a good occasion. Well, you know, fast forward to me actually shooting this buck. So I, let me think here. I turned twenty-one, and what year was it? I don't even know what year I turned 21. Regardless, uh, this beer had been in my refrigerator for a long time. I mean, years. I mean, five, six, seven, eight years, something like that. So, uh, actually, I, so I turned 21 in 2011. So, I shot 2019. So, eight years. It was in my refrigerator for eight years. And my brother knew it had been in the back of my refrigerator. It was at my parents. And then I went to mine. And just this random bottle of beer that we had never tried. So, um, my buddies still swear that they got sick that night from drinking that Mississippi mud bottle. Because we we did open it up and drink it after we shot him, and like you know, it was an eight year old beer, which is not good. It doesn't age like bourbon. But we had the we had the bottle. It was a glass bottle we had on the wall for a while, and then someone slammed the shop door and it fell off the shelf and smashed into a million pieces on the ground. So it's in the trash. And I haven't actually bought another one since. I was gonna buy another one for the next buck, but you know, life gets in the way. But it actually wasn't that bad. It's a black and tan. So you're a Yingling guy. Yingling makes oh, yeah. black. And you know Pennsylvania beer, it was exactly like that. It was a black and tan style beer, and it was pretty good, smooth. But hmm. I'm surprised that wasn't skunky as all get out with an eight year waiting oh, it, period. I mean, it probably was. Like I said before, by the time we actually got the deer back to the shop, I was obliterated, so I have no idea like how bad it actually was. But yeah, that's the Mississippi mud story, and Isaac included it in the video. He went to my house. He he like snuck over to my garage when he was going to get his pizza and grabbed it. Yep. Yeah, I watched that part. I thought that was pretty funny. <sighs> I just had a general question. You had mentioned in the video, I believe, that you guys pride yourself on your use of trail cameras. Could you explain your approach to trail cameras? We've touched this on this a couple of times, and just curious on your use or your approach. So I, you know, it's summertime. During the summertime, it's food. It's food, and sometimes water. So I'll have my cameras a couple times on water, a couple of them on water, but then it's all food. But as soon as the beans turn and the velvet peels off, it scrapes. I mean, I'll have. I'll have a crazy amount of cameras on scrapes and then 
trails leading to rub lines and stuff. And then he would, you know, Traveler was just smoking scrapes on the side of these bean fields every night. So those oak trees I was talking about, and there was a bunch of other oak trees and stuff. And he would just every night he'd feed out in the bean field and come to the edge and just wreck these scrapes. And you know, when you're getting videos two, three, four days in a row, these bucks an hour after daylight hitting these scrapes, and you know they're feeding in the fields before that. This is a pretty good feeling. And I had a lot of good video of him that year. And but that's, you know, I run a lot of trail cameras. That's kind of my thing. Um, I run them for a bunch of other people too. So like my buddies all have trail cameras, but they have normal nine to five jobs and families and stuff. So they can't change the batteries out and move them around as much as they'd like. So I take care of all that part. We, we use trail cameras a lot for our hunting. Awesome. Yeah. More than the average person I'd say. I mean, we, it's, we, we enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah, kind of going off of that, um, I noticed most, if not all, your videos look like they're coming from Browning cameras. Is that your go-to? For the video stuff, yeah. For for the video mode, we use the Brownings. Um, I have not, you know, it's kind of hypocritical me, but I haven't dove into the, the cell cam game with the Brownings yet. I use Spartans and Tacticams, and we've actually started buying some Moultries because a lot of people apparently don't like their Moultries, so they sell them really cheap, and they they don't do a great job, but they work. I mean, we're buying trail cameras for like 30, 40 bucks cell cams and just throw them in the woods. So, but yeah, yeah. Spartans attack cams are my cell cams, but the Browning video mode cams, um, you know, you there's, there's, it's kind of hard to keep up with the the models because they change every year. They, they keep three or four models and introduce five or six more. And, but the, the higher end Browning. So you're looking at the, you know, 130 and above dollar Brownings, the, the, the intel you can gather from their video mode is unmatched. It just, I put, I'll put cell cams and brownies next to each other, and the brownies will just take ten times more, you know, media and give us so much more intel than the cell cams will, just because they don't have to connect to the system and they don't have to upload and they don't, you know, it's right. The, the browning video cams have been a, a game changer for us, game changer. And I know there's other companies that have video cams that are just good. You can use Stealth, you can use Mol or uh, Wild Game. They make some better ones and. But we just Browning were the ones that we kind of dove into, and that's what we use. Yeah, I have a I have a pretty wide variety of brands, but I would say that the Browning, uh, especially with the video capability, and when they came out with their sound, on yeah, videos, I love the sound, love it, really, really cool. So I I I would say that that's probably my favorite camera I have. Yeah, the sound is awesome. Just I can't tell how many videos I have of bucks grunting or snort wheezing or just does walking by bleeding, even in the middle of the summertime. It's just the sound has kind of changed the game up a little bit. Yeah, it really tells you what's going on a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's cool for turkeys too. I know this is a deer hunting podcast, but I, I love getting goblin turkeys on camera. And you can use the the cell cams and the video cams, you know, early morning. I can't even tell you how many times during turkey season I'll, I'll I'll request videos of deer walking by because in the background you can hear gobblers like yep they're gobbling on that farm today and you know just little tips like that like sound sounds important to me. Yeah, Ryan yeah. and I like deer hunting, but we love turkey hunting. So yeah. <laughs> um. So then after Traveler, the next year, were you aware of Massey's existence? during the year you shot traveler or was he a totally nope. new buck coming in for 2020 totally new buck totally new buck had no idea that he was there during the during the travel year 20, 2020 was a bad year so as good as 2019 was 2020 was just a bad year um fat bastard never showed back up so he was you know the number two on the hit list in 2019 he never showed back up uh no you know we got his sheds from the year before but 
not a single picture that year, and we haven't seen him since, so we assume he's obviously dead. Um, no brows did come back, and he was probably 12, 10 to 12 inches smaller. He went from like a 140 to maybe a 130, maybe like a 127, 128. So he was – he ended up getting killed by a neighbor guy, so that was pretty cool. But he was kind of off the hit list. I mean, I would have shot him if he came by me, but I wasn't super excited about him. Um, Massey kind of showed up on a different area of the farm than Traveler, about as far – about as far across the farm as you can get from where I was, you know, where I killed Traveler and we were getting videos of Traveler and watching him. Uh, Massey showed up on the other side because our, our farm's divided by a road. So that, and that road, it's funny how that road acts like a border for bucks almost. I mean, there's, there are bucks that'll go back and forth, but some bucks will just not cross those roads. I mean, I'll just never get them on the north side. I'll only get them on the south. But Massey was one of those deer, only got him on the south side. I watched him all summer. I got, you know, every week or so, I'd get a, a set of pictures. He'd come through, hit a food pot or hit a lick or hit a watering hole, what have you. And going into that season, I didn't have a – he was my number one, but I didn't have any, you know, I don't want to say giant, but he was the biggest deer on my hit list. Um, he had a lot of cool character. You can see him right there in the video. He had a lot of cool character, but he wasn't a high-scoring deer. He ended up scoring 122, I think, 122, 123, something like that. So he was only 120-inch buck, but he was the heaviest – and biggest body deer I've ever killed, bar none, not even close. He was a monster body weight, but uh, his hunt was a lot simpler. I mean, there was a couple food plots he was hitting, and um, I remember opening day specifically, I was getting ready to head to the stand, and my cell cam was dinged, and he was already in the food plot on opening day, so I had to go somewhere else. I mean, there was a couple opportunities like that where he was moving early, hitting food plots where I just, you know, dropped the ball because I wasn't in the stand fast enough, and then um, – you know, the video of the day I killed him was pretty picturesque. There was a bunch of does that came through, and then some young bucks came through, and then him and another semi-mature buck, you know, they're working some scrapes, and they just entered the food plot, and I whiffed my first shot pretty bad, and he ran off and stopped and came back and was, like, trying to figure out what happened, and I smoked him on my second shot. And um, I only hunted a couple times that year. It was a, that was a weird year. It was a very weird year. So was he – Sounds like he was pretty often coming out in daylight then. He didn't yeah. hit food sources at night like a, a typical buck of his age class would. Yeah, he, uh, if he was on the property, so he, you know, we've learned a lot about deer movement since then. Um, I got a buck, you know, for example, I got a buck right now that's moving almost three miles in between feeding places, right? Or, you know, feeding spots right now. And we're getting him on trail camera in two different spots, three miles apart, which is just crazy for this time of year to me. But, you know, back then, you know, if he showed up on the farm, which was, you know, a couple times a week, we'd get pictures of him. And it was almost always in daylight or near daylight. So he was bedding close and then he'd leave for a couple of days and we'd get nothing. And then he'd come back and he'd be bedding close. And uh, we had corn planted on the farm that year. The whole entire farm, all, you know, like I said, 126 acre farm, almost 40 of its tillable was all corn. So food plots played a big, big part of that season. If we have corn planted, the only open areas that we have on the farm are our food plots. Other than that, it's, you know, woods and corn and, you know, early season corn hunting. If you've, if you guys have ever experienced that, it's kind of tough. I mean, yeah, yeah I try to get them bucks out of there, or the deer out of there. And, you know, there's no reason for them to leave a lot of times, but I had a nice clover food plot that year in a watering hole. And he just, you know, he was, he was comfortable feeding in it and coming out and hitting this, I don't, you know, mock scrape on the side. And that was the end of him. I mean, he came out like, on a string exactly where i wanted to i wish i would have hit him with my first shot in that video but he 
it was it was weird. I did hit him. So, you know, in the video, you can see that I took a good slice out of his belly with that first shot. And it, for whatever reason, he didn't leave the field. He ran 20 yards and just stopped and just looked back, which was, I found that very odd. But uh, the second shot didn't miss. So he's on the wall now. That's all that really matters. Yeah. But I, I, mean, I am curious. What what do you think happened that caused you to miss that first shot? Because I know that first shot was I didn't, about I didn't 20 yards closer. Yeah, I didn't stop him, which is my problem. I mean, it, it was probably just overconfidence. You know, he's it was probably a 17, 18 yard shot, and he was just doing a slow walk. And I had the video, I knew I had two cameras that could see him. I had the GoPro over my shoulder, they could see him, and my main cam, they could see him. And, you know, 20 yard chip shot doesn't seem like much. So I took the shot and I just went right through his brisket low, just, just way too low. And then I, my jitters obviously were gone because that second shot, I actually, had, I remember. But if I remember correctly from the video, so I quote myself properly, I think I had my pin locked at 30. I knew he was probably about 40-ish, and I shoot a one pin. So I just put the I put that 30-yard pin at the top of his back and just released, and it just sent. It just went perfect, perfect yeah, shot. You, you absolutely yeah. drilled him that second shot. I had no nerves on the second shot. I think it was it was weird because the first shot I was very nervous watching him come in. The typical like he's coming in, it takes him five minutes. He hits a scrape, he hits a rub, he just kind of stands there like you're just watching him come in. See the nerves are getting to you, and then you miss, and then like you panic. But then after I got done, after the initial miss, I put a new arrow in, I moved my camera, and he's standing there. So I just took my time at that point, and the result was good. But I wish there was more to that story. I wish it was as exciting as the traveler story, but. It was just a year where there wasn't a ton of mature bucks around. I mean, he was one of only two, and I was lucky enough to get him, and the neighbor got the other one, and we were pretty uh, pretty sad about going into the next season because we didn't have a lot of deer on the hit list that we thought were going to be worth a damn, but luckily that wasn't the case. Yeah, the next year you guys had uh, – so you had Dad's Buck, Stanky, and how many others did you have the following year then to chase? So – Dad's Buck and Stanky were definitely the main shooters. Um, Stanky Jr. I saw a lot that year too, which was, you know, I called, I named Stanky because he had a super messed up front leg. It was, it was broken probably in at least two places. I mean, his front leg was stiff. Like it wouldn't even bend. So he was walking around with a front leg that wouldn't bend. And then Stanky Jr. had a back leg that wouldn't bend. So he had a messed up back leg. And then Dad's Buck, which all those deer were around the next so during 2020 after i killed my buck october 28th so we didn't talk about that part it was kind of early october 28th my brother hunted for the rest of the year and uh had a couple encounters with these deer um he had encounters with dad's buck he had encounters with the buck that we later called five by three uh, that he killed last year uh, he had encounters with stanky just decided not to shoot him it was late season you know hunting over corn just watching 50 60 deer a night and he you know he had him come into range a couple times and he said you know these are you know, three, I mean, the one might be a four-year-old, but three, four-year-old bucks, and they only score, you know, 118 to 120, which is, I'm not saying that in a disparaging way at all, but he just felt at that time, you got all these bucks, and there's no reason, you know, I shot a doe that late season, he shot a doe that late season, you know, there's no reason to shoot one of these bucks just to kill a deer, so luckily Isaac passed all those deer in the late season, so 2021 rolls around, and, you know, they, they were just 120 class eight points in 2020, so we weren't you know sure how the year was going to play out but uh there was a there was a hay field that our neighbor had the same ones that had the cows get out and it had been a hay field for 20 years 
for whatever reason, they contracted it out with another farmer to put in beans. So they put in a probably 40 acre bean field that hadn't been anything but, you know, hay for 20 years. And that field that summer was an unbelievable magnet. We just would park our trucks on the side of the road almost every night and just watch, you know, four or five mature bucks feeding all night long and just comfortable in the back. I mean, it was the first time they'd ever had food like that in that location. And it drew every deer in the neighborhood in. And it was a, it was a lot of fun that year watching those deer in the buildup and 2021 was probably my favorite year deer hunting I've had. I would say. Yeah. I noticed in the video, uh, you really highlighted how much summertime glassing you did for dad's buck. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems that that was even bigger dare I say even bigger than trail cams for you that year. Yeah. So our fields on our farm, some, a couple of them you can kind of see from the road, but a majority of our fields are backfield. So there's, a couple acres of woods and there's a lane that goes back to them. So you can't see the majority of our fields from the road. And I'm not going to summer scout, you know, out on the ground, walking around leaving my scent and stuff. So we do our summer scouting from the road and all the fields in the area before that in, you know, our home range area have been hay fields and they do have, you know, we've got plenty of good, you know, bucks out even in the hay fields, but just that, that particular year, this field is really accessible from the road and it was planting beans for the first time. And it was just really easy to park on the side of the road and just watch deer pour out like crazy. And we had a lot of fun with it that year. And there was some other, but you know, my buddies bucks and stuff on their farms that were accessible from the road that year. So we did a lot of road scouting and it was just, it was, you know, it's funny. You just load up in the truck in the evening and spotting scope binoculars camera and just get some content and video. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel that. I've been doing a lot of that this summer, loading up with the spotting scope, the camera, and a couple of tripods, and just yeah. going out and glassing. And it's it's pretty awesome. Getting yeah, to watch we've done it a lot this year as well. This this year has been a very heavy road scouting year as well. My one brother's back from the Navy, and this is his first summer back, so he's been driving around every night, just laying down video and kind of keeping tabs on bucks on all these different farms. And it's been a lot of fun. So before we get too much into Dad Buck, Dad's Buck story um i one of the things I, I wanted to ask is how did he get the name dad's buck so my dad you know who's lived on the farms he was he was born here and he's lived here his whole life the first shed he ever found was his and he found it 20 yards off the road he had been going out you know when he had got off work and just kind of nodded around some spots around the farm and the barns and stuff trying to find sheds because the deer are bed close to the barns at the farm you know where they can see the road and where they can see the house and stuff so he was walking around and he found, I had actually found the other side first and not too far from the barns. And then like a week later, he found the matching side, which unfortunately I don't have it here with me. It's at the, it's at the deer shop, but um, he found the matching side uh, right, not too far off the road. And it was his first shed and he was all proud and happy with it. So, I mean, instantly dad's buck is how he got his name and it's stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you had a really interesting 2021 then because you got married. Yeah. Was it the weekend before opening day or pretty much no, opening I day? Got married, I got married on opening day. I'm that guy. My wife you and Ryan have that in common. He's getting married on opening um, day this year. I'm a, I'm about to be that guy. So. Yeah. So there's nothing <laughs> wrong with being that guy. You know, my wife, she wanted a September wedding and September 25th that year just happened to be opening day. And so we actually didn't do much hunting. I mean, obviously I didn't do any hunting and my brothers didn't do much early season hunting. I went on a two week honeymoon after that. So I didn't even get to start hunting until mid October, you know, second week of October of that year. But um, yeah, it was kind of, it was interesting. I had all those deer eating in this bean field and had them all patterned. And, you know, me and all my best friends and all my brothers, none of us could hunt these deer in this field because 
you know, there's a wedding that was happening. So, but yeah, so he, I don't know if that helped or hurt or not. You know, there was no pressure for the first couple of weeks on the season in the farm. So that was kind of nice, but. Did, did you feel like you had a lot of catching up to do when you got back from that? Like how oh, did dad's bucks patterns yeah. kind of change after that? When well, he, back? so after the beans turn, he just disappeared basically. So the beans turned and I stopped getting trail cameras pictures of him for a long time until the rut kicked in. So about, you know, right around the end of September until the last week of October, I would, was rarely getting him on trail camera. If I was, it was just like skirting on a trail or maybe walking past the scrape and not actually hitting it. And then, um, I started getting some more media of him during the peak of the rut. So basically, you know, I had hunted the whole season and I had encounters with all these other deer, um, you know, borderline shooters in range past some great video. I mean, it, that was a great, 2021 was a great year for hunting. I had my first encounter with dad's buck during gun season. And, um, you know, I, I'll admit it, panic set in basically, uh, you know, you've been hunting for this ghost all year and you've been seeing all these other deer and you're finally watching with your binoculars. He had a, specific curve on his left beam the just the way it came out I, I recognized it right away and i couldn't believe what i was seeing it's thursday of gun season and here he comes walking to the property i haven't even seen this buck in months and i just missed i mean i simply just missed my shot and uh we checked for blood that night I, we went back and checked for blood in the middle of the night you know 10 o'clock at night we went back and checked for blood nothing uh the next morning, I went back to the same stand just because I figured, you know, I'll be able, when I leave the stand, you know, because it was a great stand to hunt anyways. It was just surrounded by bedding areas, and it's gun season, so the deer are pressured heavily. So just hunting bedding areas is basically all you can do here in Ohio, and I'm sure you guys are similar in Pennsylvania when the Orange Army oh, comes to sure. hunt the thick. So I just went back to the same spot knowing that was my best logistic stand. I only made it till about, like, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get down. I'm going to look for blood in the daylight. You know, I haven't, we, we were looking for blood at night before, and it was hard to get a reference point, 100 yard shot, et cetera. So I'm going to go look for blood in daylight. And I get down and I find no blood. So I'm just walking back to the house. My brother was hunting, and I was trying not to, um, you know, disturb his hunt any. So I took kind of a back way back to the house through a swamp. And I walked right up on him, probably 100 yards from where I, 100 yards from where he was standing when I shot. So probably 200 and some yards from the stand. I walked, I just crested a ridge and I saw a couple does run over the ridge towards me down into the valley, you know, in front of me. And I waited and he, sure enough, here he came chasing the same does that I saw him with the night before. You know, he had gone nowhere. I shot at him and he didn't even care. You know, he, they obviously ran off, but then, you know, there's does in the area that were the never ending rut, like you talked about earlier. And he was on those does. So I watched him chase does for a little while, you know without being able to get a shot. He didn't, he had no idea I was there and he was chasing these does through the swamp and up around this Creek. And, you know, I was trying to find my best vantage point. Eventually I got to a spot where I could take a shot. And I took the shot. The same thing happened. Deer scattered everywhere, but I went over and uh, I did find some blood. Like I said, it was, I hit him in front of the front legs through the brisket, which is just a, if you've ever hit a, a deer with a bow there, I don't know if you've ever shot a, you know, it, they bleed like crazy, just straight down. Just blood's just bleeding like crazy. So blood trail is crazy. Uh, my brother actually, you know, you can see in the video, the deer ran straight to where my brother was hunting. My brother watched him bed down and start to get woozy with his head. And then I came stumbling through the woods like Elmer Fudd on this blood trail and bumped him. So then we gave him a couple hours, went back, started tracking him. Because during gun season, if you bump a deer onto another property, there could be guys hunting it and they'll claim it or shoot it or, you know, anything could happen. So it's, you know, if it was archery season, I just sort of waited 12 hours and just went and picked him up. But, Gun season's different. There's people out in the woods, and 
you know, who knows where he's going to end up. So we ended up bumping him at least one or two more times when we tracked him that second time. And then it ended up working out. He bled out, but it was, that was a lot. That was one of my favorite hunting seasons. Probably. Yeah. I mean, 2021 was a lot of fun. Just saw a lot of bucks from Stan. Just good hunt. Every hunt was good. That's all you can ask for, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Seeing deer from Stan, it's always yeah. a good day. Even if it's not the one you're after, just being able to sit out there in the woods, film some deer, watch the deer, see how they act, you know, make mental notes for the next year. If it's an up and coming buck, you know, he's obviously using this area this time of year. So next year I'm gonna check in type of thing. You know, we do that a lot. So it was a fun year and that year worked out pretty good. That track job was very, it, it's funny because I'll tell all my friends, I don't like the guaranteed track jobs when I'm a participant. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm going with my buddy to find a deer and he's like, well, you know, I, I think I got a good hit on it, but I'm not sure. Like, it's a lot more fun. Like, oh, there he is, you know. Yeah. When it's a guaranteed track job, it's like, yeah, he's, you know, I watched him tumble over there on the other side of the beach tree, you know, and they just go up and like, woo. But this is the ultimate, like, no one knew if he was truly dead yet. We were bumping him. It was gun season. It was just, it was looking back, it was a ton of fun. I was stressed out at the time, but. I'm sure. How, how close to the property line did he end up getting then before he passed? Uh, so he ran off our property onto neighbors that we had permission to um, track on, but not hunt. So we tracked him through there, went back to another neighbor's permission piece where we could hunt tracked him through there back to the cow pasture people again, that same farm. And then he ended up dying up on a neighbor's property where we could hunt. Um, he died a hundred yards from where I hit him originally. He took a huge circle, massive circle, and basically came back to that same area, which in the end makes me think that he's probably been there the whole time. And I just, my trail cameras were in spots that I was comfortable putting him, putting them, but obviously he wasn't walking. So he was probably spending a lot more time near my property than I knew about because that's where he went to die. And that's where I shot him. So, you know, trail cameras don't tell you the whole nine yards. That's for sure. But yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty happy with the way the story came together. I, I wish I would have been able to kill him that first shot on video. It would have been a lot better, but you know, can't have everything perfect. So I have a question regarding your style of video. So obviously your videos are very cinematic. Uh, was that on purpose or did that just come naturally as you were trying to tell your stories? I think that's the progression of, you know, you, you, you make a video and you produce it and you watch it and you're like, well, I could probably change that. And then you watch some other guys' videos, you know, Midwest whitetail. And then you're like, well, that's a cool shot. So then like you're in the woods, you're like, well, I'll do that. And then, you know, 10 years of that kind of stuff goes by and you just, I feel like I try to make every video better than the next. I'm also very realistic. I know that there's some videos where I'm going to go out with just a GoPro just to capture some content and you know, oh, here's a scrape, here's a rub, found a shed, you know, et cetera. And you can make a video with that and you can get some views and you put it on your channel, people follow. But, you know, when you have a story that comes together like that, you know, a two or, a two or three year chase for a whitetail or your, your season finally comes to an end. I like to come, I like to go through, you know, it takes a long time. I'm sure you guys understand. It takes a long time to find the, all the hunts and remember things from those hunts later. Like, oh yeah, there's that squirrel that was coming in and out of that hole. I took some good, you know, so you got to go back and find that video and, um, I think music plays a big role in a lot of this stuff. So a lot of guys, there's a, I get a lot of comments where like, well, music was too loud or why'd you have music in it? Why didn't you just hear nature sounds? I'm like, well, it's a 50 minute video. So if you want to listen to the wind blowing for 50 minutes, that's fine. But I like to incorporate music and voiceover and you know, trail camera audio and all that other stuff in my videos. It's not for everyone, but I enjoy doing it. 
um, paying for a music subscription is key to be able to get some actual quality music. You know, YouTube library has some stuff and there's some free stuff that's okay. But once you've listened to enough of that free stuff, you can tell when, you know, groups take the next step and actually get into artists creating music specifically for videos. And It, it is uh, funny that you bring that up because when I was watching your videos, a couple of the songs that you played, I was like, oh, that's from youtube audio library because yep, yep. i've used it in our videos yeah but um actually this year probably uh about a month ago i purchased a subscription to artlist.io yeah, yeah. Oh, um, that's, that's, and i i think that's going to change a lot it does like you're like man you're you're thinking so when you're creating a video you're thinking man i need a song that like slow rolls and has a couple big beats and then gets real cinnamon you know cinematic and I can't find it on there, but you go on art list and you can start finding stuff that fits the bill. And then you hear stuff that you're like, Oh, wait a minute. That actually would, yeah, I could, you know, and it makes yep. a big difference. I, I like when I'm watching some of the bigger name guys now. So if you're watching Midwest whitetail or, you know, Hushin or, you know, someone, you know, name whoever, and then you start hearing songs that you have already downloaded or that you have used or that you like have in a queue to use in a video. You're like, all right. Like, so I'm, I'm using music that guys that know what they're doing are also using. And that's a good feeling. So yeah, you can do a lot with YouTube. You know, if you're just starting out, obviously hit the YouTube audio up, use that stuff, get your stuff rolling. But I enjoy having some really good audio and I've even started using some sound effects here and there not, you know, I don't want to say sound effects, but you can start using some 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 bass beats and some drum rolls and some thunder sounds, and you can start incorporating some stuff in your audio to really pull it together. So yeah, I, I enjoy that aspect of it to spend some time on the video. Once the story is done, you can go back and like make it look a little bit better in some places here and there, and it kind of ties it all together. Absolutely, yeah, I think it definitely pays off for you. Yeah, and I appreciate that. It's like I said, there's some people who don't see it that way, and that and that's fine. There's there's guys who just want to see 50 minutes of hunting. They just want to hear birds. They just want to hear the woods, and I get that too. And I I like hearing that stuff too. But if I want to watch a movie, I want to hear some music. You know, I like I like music. At, at the end of the day, you're never going to please everybody. I know, right. uh, like our total archery challenge videos, I tend to have more uh, contemporary kind of uh punk ish yeah, yeah. music to go with yeah. the tax shots and usually going through those videos about half the comments are horrible music choice why would you yeah. put music in this video and the other half are wow the, the music actually made this video pretty awesome i like when people make leave negative comments because at least they watched it and they thought yeah. of something and then they posted it out and typed it out and felt the need to tell you so that's the half the ball game so at least just bring on the negative comments i'm good with that there's no such thing as bad publicity. No, no, you like it, and then you comment back to it, and then when they reply, you like that again. Yeah, back to it. Just keep them going. You know, every comment builds the algorithm. They're like, "Hey, there's a lot of traction on this video." That's the key. Hates hates okay. I've got a general question about your trail camera approach. Um, okay. So you've got a bunch of cameras deployed. Obviously, not all are cell cams. We talked about yeah. the Browning ones. Um, when, um. I guess when during the days and what is your overall approach to how often you're checking those trail cameras in order to kind of minimize the pressure you're putting? Are you checking them when you're hunting? Are you checking them midday to kind of avoid travel to food? Like what's your, what's your approach? So we have lost out on killing a lot of good bucks because we were afraid to check a trail camera, but 
Okay. You know, who's to say if we did check the trail camera, we would have bumped them. But there's been a lot of times we've checked trail cameras and we missed an opportunity, you know, the non-self cameras. Because during the season, we're usually going to check them either on our way to the stand or I'll make a day or me and my buddies or my brother or whoever, whoever the group is, whoever's involved, we'll make a day to try to get in there midday, you know, in October or November, get in there midday and make some changes, not during prime hunting time. Obviously, during November, we're still bumping deer that are running around rutting. But um, cell cams have changed that game a lot. Like I said, I don't, I don't trust cell cams fully still. I, I still, I know that they miss a lot because I've proven it to myself. So I know that they miss a lot of stuff, but it does help if you can, the best, the best way I can describe it for cell cams is make them have to do less. So if you have a cell cam, make it be on one specific trail or one specific scrape or a pile of food or a mineral lick or something. Give it one job. Because if you put a camera on a field edge or on a system of trails, you're going to be very disappointed when you only get the ass end of one deer and then 10 more walk by before it sends the picture or the deer's feeding 100 yards out in the field so it's not triggering it. You know, those cell cams aren't good for that. Traditional right. trail cameras are a lot better for that on video mode. You can capture a lot more detail and a lot more information, by, especially if you start using, you know, I don't know how hilly it is where you are on eastern Pennsylvania, but in Ohio, you put your tr camera on a tree facing down into a valley with a network of trails, you'll get deer coming from every direction on video, multiple spots. I mean, the intel you can gather is incredible. Your cell cam is going to make you real mad because you're going to get the first deer. It's going to send a picture and take a minute to upload, and you're just going to miss the rest of it. So give the cell cam one job. Put it on a scrape. You know, if it's during the season, find a community scrape, find a nice scrape line or a good trail. Just one specific job. This camera is for this job. I want to get this scrape, this trail, this lick, this rub, this pinch, and don't try to do too much with those cell cams. That's how I approach it. So yeah, I you know we're bumping deer in October, checking trail cameras here and there, but it's part of the game. It's just part of right. the game. Okay. Yeah, and I I've I've done the same thing. I mean, I I check trail cameras on my way to stands when I can, obviously, but. Uh, I try to go try to go in mid midday if I can. If I can't, then so be it. But during the season, I try to get as much yeah. up to date as possible. So, yeah, I don't I don't have a very I'm not a very good resource as far as like I don't have a good I don't know of a good viewer to use in the field. So let's say you're checking your trail cameras on the walk to the stand. I haven't encountered any piece of technology that's very good for checking pictures in the field besides an actual laptop and who wants to actually carry an actual laptop with you i know there's some viewers now low down viewer and this and that that they say are really good you can pop your memory card in and just scroll through everything but the ones that i have tried and the adapters i've tried for phones and all that crap it just doesn't work very good i mean it's just the technology doesn't talk very well as an actual pc computer does so i like to sit down in my office put my memory card in on my big screen and you know, dissect all the information. So um, when I pick those, you know, I pick those cards at midday, I'm just putting them in my pocket and checking them later that night. So that's not really giving me much info. I know the Brownings and some of the higher end cameras have a screen, but it's hard to read the date and, you know, kind of see what's going on. You can, you know, obviously it's a giant bucket and a scrape. You can see that on the screen, but it's hard to read the date. It's hard to know when it's happening, you know. So I have, if you guys have one or if you know something that's really good for viewing photos in the field, I'm all ears, but I'm not very, I don't do much viewing of photos in the field personally. I have one of those little SD card plugins for the phone and I go through about two of those a year. I just, yeah, just I bad technology. Find a good one. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they just don't mate together yeah. well. Well, they, and there's connect- also sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Like, like, like Zach said, I go through two two of them a year. Uh, if I don't lose more than that, sometimes I go through more. But um, the connection just goes bad. Sometimes it'll upload. It'll be in the middle of uploading them, and it'll crash, and you'll have to start over. And it it's yeah. just not. Con- it does it does a decent enough job sometimes to give you something to do in your stand if you're lucky enough to to download yeah. them. You can be second check, checking some cameras while you're waiting for deer, but um, other it's just not consistent. It's not a not a hundred percent effective. So I've noticed it, it, it happened. I noticed it with uh, actually to go full circle to football, the NFL Plus app. So the NFL Plus app last year they came out with that and you could buy for like four bucks and you can watch every preseason out of market game. So I could watch the Packers preseason games at home well i found out pretty quickly that there's software built into these apps where it doesn't let you stream it on your tv it purposely will crash your apps because it doesn't you have to watch it on your mobile it will not let you stream it to an hdmi cable to a tv it just won't work and i think a lot of these i think there's a lot of technology in play where it's like no you will not be using these little five dollar card readers to exploit our product and be able to use it on your thing so there's you know the technology nerds will be able to tell you more but it's there's a lot of things at play and that's why that stuff is an incomplete science because theoretically it should work perfect and it doesn't yep i think that's i think that plays a big factor and they don't they don't want you being able to watch stuff plus iphone's bad i don't know if you guys you guys using iphones yeah Mm -hmm. They don't talk well with anything like that. If it's not an I, yeah. if it's not an Apple product, they don't. It doesn't talk well. You know, trying to get video off and all that's just pain in the ass. And I, I think Apple does sell an SD card reader, but it's like eighty bucks, and I am not spending that much money for an SD card reader to plug into my phone. Yeah, you can buy a cell cam for that much. Yeah, exactly. You could run eight cell cams for a month for that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm out. So you've mentioned a couple times here that that food plots are pretty big for your little family farm that you guys are hunting on. Uh, do you guys do any other sort of work and what's kind of your go-to food plot mix for keeping deer on your property? So we, you know, let's say four or five years ago, maybe even a little longer, it was all the rage, you know, white tail habitat solutions. And all these people are like, Oh man, like, you know, you can do this, you can do that. You can, you know, hinge cut and all this stuff. So we, we dabble with a little bit of everything just to kind of see what we liked. And, I'll tell you the honest truth what I found. Our farm is 126 acres. We use it for farming, recreation, hunting, fishing, taking my dog for a walk. To think that I'm going to take that family farm and do some do some of this and do some of that and be able to manipulate the habitat enough to where a, a mature buck says, this is where I want to live full time. I haven't found the ability to do that. I, I have found that it's easier to work in unison with neighbors and larger chunks of property and just create little attractions that when the deer are there that they will hopefully use a certain area here use a certain area there you know we've done some hinge cutting and created some like little quarter acre bedding areas and i found a shed in one of them and i thought it was the coolest thing ever and it was a little three-point side you know but you know our mature bucks using that every year no um food plots will work here and there um I base, you know, my, my, my motto is that I'm never going to beat the crops. So, you know, 40% of a deer's diet is just natural browse and another 40% is 
uh, crops, acorns, food, you know, things that it seeks out, and then 20% is just, you know, what have you. I am not going to beat a bean field. You know, there's just no way that I'm going to beat a 100-acre bean field as far as the ability to produce food to attract a bunch of deer. It's just not going to happen. But I can put in a one-acre food plot that might be green and have something of value in it when the beans turn and the leaves are different or maybe they harvest the beans or the corn is still green. It gives them something to stop by for a little bit of time. So I'm only offering appetizers. As far as I'm concerned with the way I can manage the property, I can only offer these deer some appetizers and hopefully it gives me an opportunity like it did with Massey. And that was the only, you know, mature buck I've killed over a food plot. You know, one out of my last three was food plot, but it worked in that situation. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to affect, you know, these deer have a home range of a thousand to 1500 acres, probably, you know, a couple square miles. What am I going to do? My 120 acre farm is going to keep this deer there year round. Nothing. You know, I, I don't believe that I'm going to be able to do anything, but I can definitely give it something that's going to check when it comes through. Cause I think they, you know, their patterns based mo there's a lot of different things at play for what these deer are doing than just food and bedding. There's, you know, the moon, if you believe in that, weather, wind direction, you know, we have, like right now, Ohio's been raining for five days straight. We've got a lot of deer coming out of the pine trees, you know, because it's just less wet inside that canopy. Things like that you can't control. Um, you know, the crop rotation can't control. You know, a farmer decides to plant alfalfa this year instead of, hey, all of a sudden his farm is a magnet for all the deer in the area and you're not getting anything. So I, I can't manipulate things with my small plots, but I can definitely make an attraction to where maybe the doe will come through that the buck's on or maybe the buck will come and do a scent check of it if he's in the area this time of year and that gives me individual confidence which i think is important um, none of us have the answer i mean, I mean some guys do they kill 200 inch deer every year but you know, we don't or i don't at least but i can make myself feel confident and then if i if i'm happy with what i'm doing if i'm sitting in a spot that i feel good about for example three days on the same thing ever traveler it doesn't matter if it works or not in reality if it worked for me it worked for me you know, same thing with camo, same thing with scent regiment. A lot of guys are trying to eliminate human scent. I can tell you that's impossible. But if it makes you feel good, then use it, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, so that's I my philosophy the... on food plots, you know. They help, but they're not the answer. They're not the end-all, be-all by any means. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, to, to your comment on scent control, I take the Mark Canyon approach to scent control where – uh, I don't spray down before I go into the woods every time. I do wash my clothes and scent free stuff. And my opinion of it is if it gets me an extra five seconds with that buck before he realizes it's a human, awesome. I like I like that approach a lot. I will if I'm gonna use spray, because I don't, you know, I'm I'm a re I'm a realist. If if a if a bloodhound can smell drugs in a gas tank in a car driving down the road and a deer can smell two hundred times better than that, how am I gonna put a spray on my boots that's gonna beat their nose but i will sometimes if i have it if i you know if for some reason i have some scent control stuff or i went in in a raffle or whatever you know i will spray my boots because maybe maybe it'll dilute my scent trail enough to where the deer doesn't just instantly spook when it runs across my trail but i'm not yeah. i'm not a shower use scent free soap wash my clothes and all the detergent. i do wash my clothes in the hunting detergents just because of the uv brighteners that they talk about you know, I don't know how yep. much it plays, but I, I will. I do know that sometimes on my trail cameras, my pants will glow a lot more than my jacket, you know, if you've ever seen the IR. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, maybe it has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't, but I do little things like that to make me feel confident. But I know I'm not going to beat a deer's nose. I mean, I, I do not expect 
to beat a deer's nose. I mean, I know there's guys on the internet that'll say that they can and they have and they will, but great. You guys are awesome because I can't. So. Do you, uh, on the property, do you make any mock scrapes or anything like that? Or do you let it be all natural? I do a lot of mock scrapes, but I, I do do a lot of mock scrapes, but it's cheating because I'll put mock scrapes where I know they're going to scrape because I, I know my farms. I mean, I know where there's bottle caps in the woods from a beer that we drank 20 years ago. I, I know my farm so well. I know spots that are going to have, you know, cause they have a good looking licking branch on a trail network. So, you know, I already know there's going to be a scrape there this year. So I'll, I'll just juice it up before they get a chance. So I'll have it. I'll still actually in the next couple of weeks, I'll start to just, I use a lot of um, Evercom. Just the regular Evercom on the licking branch. Just to, I think it covers up the human scent of you touching the area. Um, I'm a big proponent of, I know when I set up a new camera that the deer are going to smell it for the first couple of days. I mean, no matter what, if you set up a new trail camera and you have it on video mode, the deer walk by and they stop and they sniff around and they look because they, they can tell that the scent's eight hours old and that you're not there right now, but like, man, there was a human here. And you can see it in the videos every time. If you run your camera in the video mode, you can see the deer stop and look around, and look right at the camera and sniff the camera and sniff the ground. Like, I mean, they smell you. They, they yeah. know that they know the age of the scent, but they can smell you. So I use Evercom on the licking branches. And, you know, as soon as late rut or late October comes around, early rut, pre-season, it gets a lot of attention from the bucks. And it's not always the buck I want, but sometimes it's a buck I didn't even know existed. Sometimes it's next year's buck. You know, a lot of, I have a lot of videos of next year's buck. I got a lot of videos of next year's buck this year. You know what I mean? Like up and comers. And I mean, it's, it's important, but I know I'm not going to be able to beat the whitetail completely. They're way smarter than us. They're way, they, their senses are way better than ours, but um, box scrapes are something I do enjoy. And I pee in them. I'm a peer hundred percent. I am too. Yeah. Pee. But I, 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 I pee in them myself. Yeah, and I, I've had I, I I've had 180 inch bucks just work a scrape that I peed in before. I mean, it's it's it works, and, and you know that I think I think there's a lot of science behind the fact that after a couple, you know, 20 30 minutes, like the human pheromones are out of the urine, and it's just urine at that point. Yeah, that's why people have been using fox urine as a cover scent for literally 100 years. Yeah, urine is urine. At least that's what so, I tell myself. That's what I tell myself too. <laughs> What what uh, bucks are you guys after this year on the farm? Do you have a couple hit listers already lined up for this year? We do, we do. Um, there's a buck, and I don't know if my so there's another YouTube outfit that's close by to us. Um, I'll I'll just I'll drop them just because whatever might help them out a little bit. They're they're called Wild Time TV. They are like I, I enjoy watching them because I know the guys. They're kind of they're just local kids. They're a little bit younger. They're, they're probably about ten years younger than me and you know, seven to five years younger than my brothers. So they, they kind of remind me a lot of when I was that age, you know, 19, 20, 21, just graduating high school, making hunting videos, but their videos are better now than what mine were then. So I'll give them that. They're another local group of YouTube guys um, that I enjoy watching. They're a little bit smaller, but they're gaining some traction and uh, their leader, uh, Joey Pavlovich, he's, he's on the right track and he's going to, he's going to be a big star one day, but they, one of their members, Gavin has been after this buck for a couple of years I think he named the buck Little Deb. We named the buck Bird's Nest. So it's one of those like bleed overs. Like they got their story with the buck. We have our story with the buck. Yep. Not super actively hunting him because my only chance to kill him is on a small piece of property that's surrounded by a lot of guys that have way more property than I do. But he does come through that small piece of property and he's going to be at least five this year. And he's probably a 140. 
45 inch framed eight point with probably a 24 to 26 inch spread and split g1s so he's probably actually close to 150 maybe 160 um our buddy gavin who's on wild time tv has hit him twice he's hit him two years in a row non-lethal uh you know video of both encounters we have a ton of show camera videos i've seen him this summer a few times um he's kind of number one on our hit list but i would not be sad at all if, if the other guy from the other group killed him he's got more of skin in the game on him but if that buck came by any of me and my brother and my buddies that are hunting that deer's gonna die because he's famous and he's big and he's old um there's a lot of deer we passed last year a lot of deer that we passed last year they're back and starting to filter back into the farm that have made some really nice jumps you know from the 120 inch three-year-old range to the 140 inch four-year-old range that are probably not going to be safe if they come by us there's a couple good bucks that we're excited about and um uh one of the guys in our group and i won't say the name because he'll get mad if i give out too much information one of the guys in our group is hunting a buck he's actually hunting two bucks but the one we thought was dead last year and is not dead he came back and he's a he's a deer that i'm probably going to focus on filming and telling the story of early and i hope my buddy can kill him we can tell that we can present the story and it'll be a a, a very worthy video but we're, we're in good shape 2022 is a good year or 2023 i should say it's a good year we're uh we're excited it's one of awesome. those good years again. Awesome. That's what we like. Last, last year, not so much for us. Last year was bad for us, actually. I don't know if it was good for you guys, but it was bad for us. Yeah, no, last year was last year was pretty bad for me. Uh, I know pretty bad for Ryan, and I think pretty bad for Tyler, too. Yeah, last yeah. year was not I killed, a great year. I killed like a 97-inch eight-point in West Virginia, which was the biggest year we killed in West Virginia, but that's the only buck I killed last year. It was... My brother, two of my brothers killed some bucks, and my buddy Nick killed a buck, but none of them were really a deer we wanted. We did take an old deer off the farm, the five by three. I don't know if you saw any of that on our YouTube channel. That deer had been around yep. for a long time, just bullying the shit out of everyone and breaking his every year he breaks his antlers off and just fights other deer off. And he was probably six, maybe even older, but we had a bunch of sheds. But my brother ended up killing him. So that I think is opening the floodgates a little bit to get some more deer in. But you're uh Zach, your 2021 was when you got the bear, turkey, and the buck, right? Yep. So yeah, that's that was 2021. Kind of, yeah, that's what actually started us to kind of know each other, I think, because uh, we do a little bit of hunting in PA, nowhere near where you guys hunt, I don't think, but we do some hunting in PA. And I remember seeing, I came across you on social media, you know, talking about your being able to kill a gobbler, a buck, and a bear. And I was extremely, extremely, extremely jealous because I really want to kill a bear in PA bad bad man in west virginia there's pa in west virginia is two places i want to kill a bear really really bad and i haven't yet and i'm gonna make a pretty hard effort on it this year there's there's a lot of people out there that have hunted a lot of years in pennsylvania and still haven't gotten a bear i think i figured it out that it's like an annual success rate of about two percent for pennsylvania yeah. hunters with a bear tag i would and, believe that uh, i believe that for sure i i know the day i shot my bear my dad was about ready to kill me because uh he was insanely jealous of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can only imagine. I So our West Virginia deer camp we go to, which is a major, major part of everything we do, is our West Virginia our deer camp, the Gorf camp down there. And no one's ever killed a bear from there. They, you know, For a long time, there wasn't bears. I mean, there was, but they weren't seeing them much. And then we started seeing them a lot. And the tag's like almost 200 bucks. So not everyone buys a tag. But it's starting to get to the point where there's a lot of bears, a lot more bears, and it's, you know, 
we probably should all start buying tags because it'd be really cool to be the first guy to kill a bear down there. We've got a lot of trail like, in the summertime. They're around a lot more. I don't know what it's like with Pennsylvania. I'm not well versed on the bear hunting in Pennsylvania as much as West Virginia, but it seems via the trail cameras that basically June through September, heavy, heavy bear traffic. And then, yep. so, then once the whitetail rut kind of kicks in, I don't get any, I don't get as many pictures of bears. I get some, but obviously as soon as it gets cold, they kind of just disappear. And unfortunately down there, we're hunting most of the time in November, you know, Thanksgiving week, a little bit, a little before that, a couple weeks before that. So we don't, we don't get a ton of opportunities at bears. We've seen them, but we can't shoot cubs or, or uh, female bears with cubs in West Virginia, which is unlike Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is like yeah. pretty much open, right? For any bear. Pennsylvania's open season. There's no regulation. If it's a bear, you're good to go. So we've seen bears in Pennsylvania while turkey hunting a lot. We've, we've come up upon like, you know, sows with cubs while we're turkey hunting in our spots and, you know, obviously they're not in season then, obviously. So you just got to film and watch them. But I, I do enjoy seeing bears in the wild. It's, it's pretty cool. So me. I, I had watched, I think it was Isaac's video last year of him bow hunting PA public land, and he had a bear. What it looked like in shooting distance? Did he just not have a bear tag, or was it not bear season yet? It was, it was two days after the archery bear season ended. He had you two, know, is... he had two different bears within thirty yards. Both of them. So he killed a bear last year in Montana, and it was like. I mean, it was, I'm happy for him. And it was a great thing for our channel, but his bear in Montana was like 80 to a hundred pounds, maybe ish. Like it, you know, looked a lot bigger across the mountain than he got up to. And it wasn't very big. Those bears he had in Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm sure you saw bears. those were not small bears. I mean, those were obviously big bears and yes, they were in bow range and he's sitting there 30 yards with a, you know, let's say 200 pound bear. It was two days past that archery season. It ended like November 4th or November 2nd or something. And that is that is so dumb to me that Pennsylvania ends the bear archery season so long before the bear rifle season kicks in. Because yeah. the rifle season for bear doesn't kick in until the week before. It's the week of Thanksgiving, actually, yeah. Yeah. that it kicks in. So there's like two weeks that you're not allowed to shoot a bear in Pennsylvania, which just doesn't make sense to me. Well, apparent, apparently they know what week that is. because you know, We've been turkey hunting and trout fishing that area for 15 years so we know it very well we just started deer hunting that area last year he goes out there you know my brother's crazy like i told you he's spending a month in montana alone he's he goes out there and he'll just spend the four or five days in his camp in the woods or on his truck or wherever and just be a wild man so we're texting he had some service up on the mountain you know i'm here in ohio just trying to kill buck because it was a struggle of a season and he's over in pennsylvania and I'm, you know we're texting back and forth you know how's it going blah blah he's like he just keeps sending me screenshots of his camera screen of these beautiful black bears coming by he's like i ain't seen shit for bucks but i've had three bears walk by today in rain so we're gonna go there we're gonna try to get up there during archery bear season this year um our indiana trip is gonna the problem is our indiana trip which is a lot of fun and we enjoy it. And I know I've invited you before. So one day you guys got to like try yep. to come up to this trip. This Indiana YouTube trip is a lot of fun, but it, it takes up the prime pre-rut for Ohio. So like we're going 1024 through 1029. So that's when bucks are scraping in Ohio. And then that's the bulk of the bear season in Pennsylvania for the bear archery season. It ends like November 6th or 7th this year. I looked it up. I don't know exactly when it is, but like real soon after that trip. So like, I'm going to have to be like beat bopping back and forth and, going from Indiana to, you know, Pennsylvania to try to get a bear. But, I mean, we know where there are over there. I mean, obviously they have huge ranges, and it's not as simple as that. But three different bears in two days on the same ridge, like, we'll take our chances. Yeah, yeah. And 
Pennsylvania is fairly cheap for any out of state hunters looking looking to come to Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I what's love, in store? What what in all do you guys have in store for this fall? So obviously you said your brother's going to Montana. He's got that might have been before we started recording, but he's got uh, four tags. I think you said he's got a leftover yeah. spring bear, elk, mule deer, and um, antelope. Yep, he's got four tags, Montana. He's going solo, but he's like during his time out there, we have a network of buddies that are in our group that are gonna like our buddy Dylan's gonna go out there for a week and a half, I think, and hunt mule deer and elk with him. Our buddy Jay, who we've done the bear hunts with in the past, he's gonna be out there hunting elk, might come hunt some mule deer. Like they'll kind of meet up here and there. Um, they'll hunt together some, hunt solo some. So Isaac's doing that until Ohio's opener. He comes back like the day after Ohio opens or something like that. Um, we're going to hunt Ohio pretty hard for a month. We got a lot of early season bucks we want to get on. Um, we, Ethan, I, I believe my brother, Ethan, who just got back from the Navy, I think he has a tag for Kentucky, but I don't know. He works a normal job like all you guys do, which, you know, my sympathies, he, uh, he, he only hunt the weekends down there. So I don't know if he's going to actually make it to Kentucky and try to hunt a velvet or not. I doubt it. Um, but we're going to hunt Ohio hard for a month and then the YouTube meetup in Indiana. So we got a couple different channels. They're supposedly meeting up. You know, it's, uh, I don't want to say flakes, but we have a lot of, you, know, you, you start with 10 channels interested. It dwindles to five. And then yep. as it gets closer, we're down to like two or three, but it'll definitely be us and born again, bow hunting. We'll definitely both be there. Cause um, we love the area. I mean, we fell in love with it last year. Isaac killed a nice buck there. Um, they killed a buck and wounded another buck. It's a whole long story, but um isaac killed a really nice buck and did a pack mount from there and it was just a lot of fun and we can't wait to go back this year there's there's some really good bucks in indiana public land um it'll be our fourth year hunting indiana public land second in that spot definitely pa hitting we're gonna hunt pa a lot and then as soon as november rolls around we're gonna go down to the gore camp which is our deer camp our family deer camp it's not our family but we've been accepted by this family and spent a lot of time with them and good friends of ours we'll be hunting down there at least once for a three or four day stretch during the rut for uh, with bow for bucks and then go down there for gun season um hunt up until thanksgiving come back to ohio watch packers on thanksgiving head to pennsylvania i'm actually going to do the gun season in pennsylvania for the first time this year my buddy from work has a cabin out there and he wants to start a tradition you know his dad's getting older and he's home with his dad and his friends and etc etc his dad's getting older so he wants some guys somewhere to come out there and start a pennsylvania deer camp which runs congruent with ohio's arch or gun firearm season so like ohio and pa run congruent but i'll probably spend the first three days in pa come back hunt the weekend in ohio and then late season we'll go wherever we need to fill a tag but it's going to be a lot it's going to be fun we have a new series coming out actually on our channel called deer camp chronicles which is all just bouncing from deer camp to deer camp to deer camp to deer camp and we're going to use all our new cameras and editing techniques and try to pick up all the things we've learned and roll it into a bunch of 15 to 20 minute episodes we're going to try something new we're going to keep them short we're going to try to pump out you know one or two a week if we can just based on our deer camps that we're running around to um you know, usually I wait till the season's over to compile a one hour long episode that releases in January, which is not the best for the YouTube metrics. And I'll still yeah. probably do that. I will probably run the show that I'm running now, technically the SBO Live, you call it. I'll probably still make episodes of that showing years of trail camera video and sheds and, you know, all, all the backstory of these deer we kill. I'll probably still release that in 
January, February, March, just for literally our own viewing pleasure. Sometimes the public likes them. Sometimes they don't pick up because it's off season. But for the actual season, we're going to do the Deer Camp Chronicles show and try to release it, you know, in a timely manner and get it out there and see how that does for us. We're pretty excited for it. And having my brother back from the Navy to have a fourth hand on deck to kind of do editing and camera work helps. So. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds like you guys are going to have hopefully another banner year and put down a couple yeah. mature bucks and and uh, grow that following even more. I, I'd like to see you guys put another three hundred and what do you say, nineteen percent from yeah, uh, three twenty one this year to next year, three twenty one. Sorry, yeah. from yeah, we yeah. were we were at I don't even know what we were sub wise going into the season last year, maybe like right around two thousand, and now we're at a little over four thousand and. We'd like to see it grow, but I've I've enjoyed the podcast thing. Like I've been, I've enjoyed being out here tonight and the other podcasts that I've been on, and I enjoy doing our own. So we're gonna really put some effort into the podcast because that's kind of you know not that YouTube channels aren't the rage because YouTube channels are doing very well, but yeah, uh, podcasts have become the way to reach people. You know, a lot of guys in cars and driving, and especially guys like us. That you know, if I gotta drive to Indiana six hours, I want you know I'm gonna listen to some guys I know on a podcast. You know, exactly. As opposed to, I can only listen to 90s alternatives so much. I've heard every Blink-182 song 17,000 times. I know every single word. Like I can skip listening to it 17,001. And I can listen to some friends on a podcast. You know, That's the way I look at it. Yep, I, I look at it the exact same way. So we've been talking for quite a while here. I want to uh, give you some time now to really plug your social media channels, the SBO channels, the Leaky John Boat channels, and of course, as you just mentioned, your new podcast. I think you guys are up to six episodes or five episodes. Sorry. Uh, yes, six, yes, will, six drop will be Monday, the day yep. this drops. Yep. Monday will be the story. So if you check out the Deer Shot podcast, I'll make this quick. We don't, I don't care about plugging too much. The Deer Shot podcast on Monday will be the story. Of my brother's 200, well, 199 and six eighths buck that he killed in 2009. We always give him a shit. Is it almost 200? You know? But uh, that'll be the episode six of the podcast. It's every Monday morning at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. Isaac drops it or has it set to drop. And then the video version. So we've done a video version of everyone, which, like you said, you were going to get into. It's, I'll tell you, it's a lot of work. It's fun. But, man, is it a lot of work putting those video podcasts together on top of the actual filming. But every Monday evening, the video version will go live, and that'll have the overlays, and you'll be able to see the pictures of what we're talking about in videos. And they're pretty cool. Um Simon Brothers Outdoors on YouTube. Our new show's coming up, the Deer Camp Chronicles. First episode will be probably October 2nd. We'll film that opening weekend of Ohio, and then I'll get in the studio um, and get it out. SBO Live will still be uh, released here and there with some stuff that doesn't pertain necessarily to Deer Camp stuff. Um, and then my brother's got his channel, The Leaky Jumbo Company, which was where we sell our stuff. Um, if you're interested in any type of merchandise from small outfits, everyone's Everyone should do that every once in a while. I like to buy a t-shirt or two here and there just of everyone, and I'll wear them in my videos just to rep people. But that's all our handles. Um, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Um, the podcast thing has be become a lot of fun. Was, you brought up Mark Kenning earlier. I, I didn't get to tell a little quick story. My first ever podcast appearance was on Wired to Hunt right before. I, I think it was right before he was bought by Meat Eater. He joined Meat Eater. Uh, really? Like 2017 or 2018 i was on there for like a rut report he like went he like contacted guys from around the country to give like oh you know what's what are the deer eating and what are they doing and and then he never had me back on there again and never contacted me again so i don't know if i did a good job or a bad job but 
I can say that I was on the Mark Kenyon podcast one time, a long time ago. That's pretty awesome. I do enjoy his Rut Fresh Radio episodes, and I'm, I'm yeah. hoping one day uh, Move Outdoors gets a knock for a Rut Fresh Radio update. That'd I'm sure he will. I mean, unfortunately, the market's so saturated now, which kind of sucks. That's my one regret is I didn't do this stuff when I first started. If I would if I would have went as yeah. hard as I am now in 2009, like I think we would be seek one, you know, and then seek Oh, absolutely. Else. But we did it just I didn't you know knew that it was a thing that was going to happen. So, we, you know, unfortunately like you like you talked about Leatherwood. Those guys have been doing videos and, you know, channels like that have a huge following cuz they've been doing it for so long and did a good job, you know, done, done a great job yeah. of getting to connect with the audience. There's some other ones I watch that are similar to that, that I really enjoy, but yeah, thanks for having me on. I told you, I hope you have enough hard drive space because I can just keep going forever. Just ramble on. We got plenty of hard drive space. I got, I got a five terabyte SSD anyway. On the uh, side, Sandus, so. you Sandus? <laughs> what brand? You uh, oh boy. Uh, Seagate. Oh, Seagate. Okay. I'm yeah, rocking a Seagate. Yeah. Uh, I, I bought it, uh, I don't know about a year and a half ago when I didn't quite want to invest a ton of money into it yet. So it's, it's on the cheaper yeah. end, but it's done pretty good for storing videos. For sure. For sure. Uh, I, so are you guys, I guess you're doing the zoom or not the zoom, but the Google docs thing or whatever. But so we're, you know, we're filming our, our podcast and studio and we realized like, we should probably change our camera settings and not be recording these two hour podcasts in 4k because it's like a hundred yeah. gigabyte video yeah. and it's just not and you don't need 4k for a podcast i mean all the good no guys. 1080p all day yeah so like yeah. We, we made a mistake there the first couple of times we were rambling on for two hours and you go to put the video on your computer and it's like no we do not have nowhere near enough space to edit this thing so it's just a learning curve as you go but yeah i recommend using 1080 for your camera because 4k is gonna screw you up absolutely 4k is great for editing but oh yeah i hate how fast it fills up sd cards yeah i if i like i said I, i'm using those sandisk ssd two terabytes and they're like 200 bucks and i get maybe six to eight months out of one and then they're full and i gotta get another one but i'm not a video deleter i don't know if you are no i'm not you do your I'm thing not. i just can't delete content like obviously if nothing happens it's not hard to delete it but successful hunts and podcasts and trail camera media like it's it's unbelievable but yeah right yeah exactly it's unbelievable. Is, i can't get rid of it. no the the so for the listeners i just showed a toshiba one terabyte solid state drive that i have here and on the top of it is a label that says videos 2017 to 2022 which 2022 is when we started recording in 4k yeah that's done now yeah right yeah cool so all right, man. We appreciate you coming on tonight and talking about some of the bucks that uh, have really got Simon Brother Outdoors going. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys have coming this year uh, with the public land challenge that you guys do. Hopefully that's not yeah. trademarked by the hunting public. No, I, uh, yeah, a lot of people are like, well, you know, I'm not trying to copy them. It's just this is such a great idea. And, you know, I can't get the guys. It's a great that, idea. I can't get the guys that have 500,000 subs to hang out with me, but I can get some guys that are similar to our channel to hang out and we should do the same thing. It's fun. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a ton of fun. Next year. Uh, we got to get you guys there. I'm, I'm hoping to man. Uh, we'll have to talk about that off air. Cause there's a chance I could swing it this year. Possibly. Maybe. Well, Just um, let me know. Let me know. So, but yeah, thanks for coming on and yeah. uh, we really appreciate it for the listeners out there. Uh, make sure you go follow 
Caleb and Simon Brother Outdoors and the Deer Shop podcast in addition to our podcast. And do both of us a favor here. Drop a five-star review on the On The Move podcast and then jump right over to the Deer Shop podcast and drop a five-star review on that too. It takes 15 seconds out of your day and it helps us more than you could know. Um, So we really appreciate you guys listening and we hope to see you next time. Until the next episode, you're on the move with Move Outdoors. Thank you.